In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Every year for about the past eight years, my home congregation has produced and staged a passion play during the weekend before Holy Week. This year, after years and years of years of doing nothing except playing the Apostle Peter in our passion play, I finally got a chance to stretch my wings, so to speak, and do something different. I played an angel, an angel named Bartholomew. I hear I was typecast. If any of you got a chance to see Welcome to the Masters out at St. John's Ellisville, then you know that my job, that Bartholomew the Angel's job in that play was to welcome new arrivals as they got to heaven in order to alleviate any concerns and answer any questions that they might have. In our play, Bartholomew meets an 83-year-old curmudgeon of a golfer named John, who is played by my pastor, Pastor Stephen Hauer. I hear he was typecast. As the story evolves, it turns out that even though John the golfer is ready, by virtue of his faith in Christ, to be in heaven... He still has any number of significant questions that he wants to ask about the person and work of Jesus, one of which he poses to Bartholomew early on. John asks, why did Jesus live on earth for 33 years? I understand the whole salvation thing, that he died on the cross to take my place, and that by grace through faith in him, I am forgiven of all my sins. But why did it have to take so long? I mean, why did he not come to earth fully grown, do his thing, and then poof, go back to heaven? Why go to all the trouble of growing up, choosing disciples, and dealing with people's issues for 33 long years? It seems like a lot of wasted time. Well, it's a good question. One that puts Bartholomew the angel back on his heels for a bit. But when he finally gets around to answering, he points John the golfer back to the book of Hebrews where it says, In the past God spoke to our forefathers, to the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he created the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of of his being. Bartholomew goes on. The person and work of Jesus Christ, he says, not only saves you from your sins, they also show us God's heart. Jesus is Emmanuel, Bartholomew says. He is God with us, God in human form. And the way that Jesus treated people during his 33 and a half year ministry on earth shows us how God feels about people. And that is exactly what we see going on in our text for today where Jesus meets in dialogues with the Samaritan woman at the well. How he treats that woman, how he engages her with his words and his works shows us how God feels about people. My friends, this is a significant text. It is 
I found out in getting ready to preach this sermon. It is the longest recorded conversation with any single individual that Jesus ever has during his earthly ministry. He spends more time talking with this woman than with anyone else. And there are a thousand and one reasons for why this encounter should have never happened in the first place. Jesus was traveling back toward Galilee through the region called Samaria. He came to a town called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was high noon. A Samaritan woman came along to draw water during the time of day when most people usually don't draw water. We may assume, therefore, that she was probably trying to avoid other people, that she had issues that made it uncomfortable for her to be in social situations. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? This was momentous because in that day and age and in that culture, there were gender rules and relational taboos that were in force that prevented men from interacting with foreign women in this manner. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews, as the text says, do not associate with Samaritans. Now there were reasons for this. As you remember, it was during the reign of Solomon's son, Rehoboam, that the ten northern tribes rebelled against the two southern tribes and split off. Years and years of war and strife between Israel and Judah followed. The kings of the south told the people in the north, if you all want to worship Yahweh the right way, and they talked that way because they were from the south, If you all want to worship Yahweh the right way, then you all have to travel down here and worship at the temple in Jerusalem because this here is the only place on the face of the earth where the right worship of Yahweh can take place. But the kings of the north didn't want their population traveling to the south to worship, so they said, Temple Shmempel. We don't need no stinking temple in Jerusalem. We can worship God right here where we live. So as time went by, you pretty much had two opposing kings, two competing countries, two competing cultures, and two competing religions. These people, they didn't like each other at all. So when the Assyrians came along and wiped out the northern kingdom, they took all the productive people and carried them off into slavery into foreign lands. But they left the poorest of the poor and the weakest of the weak behind. These few remaining beaten and bloody Israelites intermarried with the nations that the Assyrians imported into that area. They intermingled, they intermarried, and that's where the Samaritans came from. Years later, after the Babylonian exile, when the Jews were returning to Jerusalem in order to rebuild its walls and construct a new temple, the Samaritans showed up wanting to help. They maintained that they still worshipped the Lord. But because they could not show pure bloodlines, the Jews sent them packing. We don't care if you go away mad, they pretty much said. We just want you to go away. So they did. They did. 
They went back north and they built their own temple, their competing temple on Mount Gerizim, not far away from where Jesus was engaging the woman at the well in conversation. So you see, there were a thousand and one reasons for why this conversation should never have taken place. There were gender issues, there were cultural issues, there were class issues, there were political issues, there were racial issues, there were theological issues. And if you read farther on into the conversation, you'll find out that this woman had all kinds of moral and sexual purity issues as well that were keeping her away from her God. She was a loose woman, a floozy. She slept around. And as a result, the rest of her community ostracized her. In other words, when Jesus engaged this woman in conversation about the things that matter most, all the buttons were hot buttons. There were a thousand and one reasons for why the conversation should never have happened in the first place. There were a thousand and one things that should have gone wrong. And there were a thousand and one reasons for why absolutely nothing should have ever come from it. Now we have come to that point in our school year when the last of you who are being formed for pastoral ministry finally get put into an impossible situation. The vicarages have been assigned, and humanly speaking, you vicars, you upcoming vicars, know that you are not up to the task. The candidates have been placed. And if you all had been perusing your call documents, like I know you have, then you know as well as I that you're in over your heads. That between your doubts and the congregation's shortcomings, there's no earthly way that a thousand and one things won't go wrong. And finally, you who are being licensed by this institution to preach and lead worship under supervision in the pulpits and chancels of our churches, well, we already know it will take a miracle for you to be faithful and effective. It's an impossible situation. There are a thousand and one things that can go wrong. There are a thousand and one reasons for why you shouldn't even try. What good can possibly come from it? Listen. Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the intersection of faith and life. And her life was forever changed. What a miracle. It's a miracle that a person could have so many issues, so many problems, that she could be so messed up, and still the person and work of Christ gets through all that stuff and she's changed. It's a miracle. It was a miracle for her. It was a miracle for you. For you see, this woman isn't the only one who's made a mess 
of her life. She's not the only one who's made bad choices, who's acted out in unhealthy and unhelpful ways. She's not the only one to use her background, her history, her dysfunctional past to stiff-arm God and keep him at a distance. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, the Bible says. Each one of us has wandered off. Brothers and sisters, there are a thousand and one reasons for why you shouldn't even be here, sitting safely in the presence of the Lord Almighty, the righteous judge of heaven and earth, and calling him Father. You don't deserve to be here, and neither do I. But a miracle happened. Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has wandered off. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, at some point in your life, it could have been at your baptism, it could have been in conversation with friends or a family member, it could have happened while you were sitting in church, but at some point in your life, you were engaged by the person and work of Jesus Christ, and just like that woman at the well, all the barriers, all the dividing walls, all the sins, all the shortcomings, all the deep-seated issues that kept you separated from God, they were dealt with. And you were made his child. Your life was forever changed. And that change means something about the way we approach life and ministry. We do it just as Gimli the dwarf, the dwarf does in the last movie from Lord of the Rings. When Gimli is faced with an impossible situation, when the odds are stacked against him, he says, certainty of death, small chance of success. What are we waiting for? There are a thousand and one reasons for why you shouldn't even be here But the person and work of Jesus Christ overcomes them all so that we really do live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness and innocence and blessedness. By his spirit, we engage the world out there with his word and we bring his hope, his peace, his forgiveness to the people who are literally dying to meet us at the intersection of faith and life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.